1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Night Street Cast on Rotovase Radio, brought to you by our friends over at Bet Online and Blue Wire. Well, uh, we are another week into the off-season, and Dan is still in the midst of kids being sick, Dan being sick, all, all sorts of sickness in the Saneo household. So today I'm joined by our friend Jordan McNamara. He is a giant dynasty strategist. Uh, he has a book that he'll tell you a little bit about. But uh, he's one of the more fun guys to chat with on the Twitter. So uh, make sure to uh, learn about him if you don't know about him. And uh, we'll we'll have lots of Dynasty chats today. How's it going tonight, Jordan?
2: You know, that Twitter thing always tends to get me in trouble. So I've been trying to keep a little bit more reserved on that that whole Twitter uh, that whole Twitter fun chatting thing. But I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate coming on. Yeah,
1: yeah. We'll definitely get into a little bit later in the show a time where we probably got, both got ourselves in trouble. But at the end of the day, we ended up being okay <laughs> with it. But uh, before we get into the show, lots of strategy talk on today's show. Uh, before we get into it, I want you to know you can become a RotoViz subscriber by going to rotoviz.com slash radio. Get 10% discount to all of our awesome content and tools, uh, all that good stuff, and support the, the podcast, all those good things you should be doing. If you are a listener of our podcast, whether it's us, the flagship pod or the, the new, new Dynasty Pod with Curtis and Travis May. Uh, lots of good stuff going on at RotoViz. Make sure you're supporting it with slash radio for a 10% discount. All right. So, Jordan, I mentioned it a little bit at the top, but you are kind of known for your Dynasty strategy. So, I guess we can start from a broad scope and get a little bit narrow. Uh, what would you say, you know, wh- how would you describe your Dynasty startup strategy?
2: Yeah, it's a, that's a that's I don't have a term for it um, so I've I've written the I've written two books and each uh, in 2019 I wrote the analytics of dynasty and then there were a lot of like unanswered questions from that in terms of like just things that came up in conversations after I wrote it that maybe really want to dive back in and look at it a little bit differently so one of the things I've really found is I think uh, and this year might be different and we can talk about that probably a little bit uh, why a little bit later but Generally speaking, um, I am I, th- I think that uh, the data would suggest that going wide receiver early is the better bet um, in terms of in terms of positional allocation. And then uh, because t- what you tend to see at, at the positions and I, I look at a couple of different metrics for this. I look at top 24 finish rates. I look at um, a metric that I call warp or wins over replacement. And that one in particular is, is really critical in this conversation what you see is that at the at the any you take a running back over any you take a wide receiver over a running back during a startup draft you're you're almost always losing value the place it hurts the least is early in a startup draft um, and you can, uh, you know, the, the data is. Uh, uh, you can look at it a couple of different ways. I would say they're pretty close early on in terms of um, what you would historically expect at the position. Um, anything outside of I usually say round six of round five or six of a, a start one draft or pick seventy five to eighty, maybe in a super flex draft. Anytime after that, historically, you're taking it on the chin every time you take a wide receiver over a running back. So I sort of come at it with the idea of let's try and maximize my efficiencies, um, wide receivers closest early on to running backs, um, and, it's, and avoid making that decision later on in the draft. So typically I, I come at it from that philosophy, and I think that's what the data would historically suggest.
1: Yeah, for me, uh, obviously, anyone who listens to this pod knows that I am definitely a wide receiver heavy drafter, wide receiver heavy guy. You know, I'm going to have a lot more of the Michael Thomases and DeAndre Hopkins on my team than I'm going to have, you know, the Saquon Barkleys and, you know, DeAndre Swifts. But the the way that pretty much I rationalize it is, you know, there's such a wide range of outcomes for a running back in any given year, especially – at the, at the top, you know, where a guy who was being drafted as like, you know, an RB one, you know, top one round startup pick and Todd Gurley, he might be falling into the third, fourth round of startup drafts. And even that might seem like a reach because his, his value is just continuing to decline. So uh, I know, I know, I kind of went into this conversation expecting you to just hammer down on, cause I, I know you're a big running back guy and it seems like you're kind of, you've gone from big running back guy to like, big running back guy a little bit later on than, than those initial few rounds.
2: So yeah, I've never been a big running back guy early. And that's, that's honestly, if there's a misconception about my strategy, it's probably that, which is that I'm a big running back guy. I'm a big, all I care about is efficiency. So I'll do, I'll do whatever works. Um, And what has historically worked. And I think works best. uh, It's the best strategy is to, to be a volume running back drafter, but do that later in a draft and so for instance like I will like I might come out of the first five or six rounds with four or five wide receivers and not take another one and mm-hmm. and so that's where I become a, a heavy volume running back drafter um, because outside of like the top 75 picks and again this year might be a little bit jif- different because there's value I think in terms of some of the players that are falling in, in wide receivers this year and when historically that has not really happened. <laughs> but I might only have like outside the top 75 picks in a draft a- at their cost. I might only like four or five receivers in a particular year.
1: Yeah, that's definitely interesting. Um, yeah. I think that for the most part in the early rounds of startup, you know, the reason why you're drafting, you know, those top end wide receivers is because you're looking at, okay, like if you were drafting Julio Jones in the first round of a startup four years ago, the running backs being taken around him are no longer in the NFL or on, or, on their back legs or their Adrian Peterson. Uh, so certainly the longevity uh, of the young wide receiver. And I guess this kind of will will go towards this conversation of the, the wide receivers then. Uh, how do you value age in dynasty when it comes to, I guess, running backs and wide receivers? But a lot of people say that, you know, the, the age 27 to 30 wide receiver end up getting undervalued because we, we hype up the 21 to 24 year old wide receivers so much.
2: Uh, what are your th- feelings on that? I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, but I, I think there's I think there's uh, a caveat to that, which is this: if you are, I think we misunderstand age. So I think the wide receivers that sort of perform into their mid 30s, um, if you look at them historically, they're high picks. So the and I I look back to a guy like Jordy Nelson as a good example of this. Jordy Nelson was elite in his prime. But that prime window was shorter than a guy like Julio Jones, and I think that the thing with that is, is that's that's reflective of history, and that's reflective of what you'll see in the data when you look at these guys. So you'll see a guy like Julio Jones play into his mid 30s. Larry Fitzgerald, these type of guys can play into their 30s, um, and whether that's whether it's pedigree because they were elite athletes, um, or they just continue to get opportunities, or, or what what have you. Historically, their drop-off has been less into their 30s than guys that are lower picks, so uh, or, or worse picks, I should say. So I am, and I, I jokingly said on my podcast a couple of weeks ago that that Julio Jones is like my 97 Grand Am. I don't give it. I don't care what his value is because I'm probably just going to ride him into the ground. And at this point, like you can't. I mean, he's going for like. I mean, I've seen him. If I own him and he's going to go for like a later first round pick, that's clinically insane to sell him. Because especially if you're at all in a contending window, because you're just the hit rate on that. Like if he hits this year, the odds of a wide you picking a wide receiver at that at that pick and him outproducing Julio Jones is as as low. That's a low bet. And um and you know barring injury I would expect Julio to hit this year so I sort I sort of look at that and at this point I don't think a guy like Julio is a perfect wide receiver owned for me because I don't care about his value uh, I'll hold him until he retires you know probably still or you know he's not worth rostering which doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon and um I don't care about what his trade value is so. I think, you know, but where, where you see fall offs in value that you need to get out of is guys that are uh, lesser draft picks, um, lesser, lower draft picks tend to drop off earlier historically.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I I think I actually fall victim to it a bit early rather than saying I'm going to sell off, you know, the fifth round pick at age 28. I'm more so doing it at age 22 and 23, Not be, not for a fear of dropping off. Immediately, but more so just because I know that the first round picks, the guys that are going top 10 in the draft are more likely to go into their early 30s. And obviously that, that is a bit of a long scope and I kind of lead into our next topic. But what I will say is that do you do you think there could be a flaw in trying to flip those guys? Like there are the Tyree kills. There are the Stefan Diggs. Like how do you avoid making like trading away Darius Slayton and then him becoming the next
2: Stefan Diggs? Um, well, he hasn't yet. So I but I would say this, like with any with any stat, with anything, there is going to be the outliers. And the question is, is how good at identifying them are we? Um, how good how, how good are we at that? And we're not. We're just not very good at it, is, is historically what has been the case. And, uh, you know, I, I, look at, I look at wide receivers and I look at um, the hit rate on these guys, and the hit rate is really, really low on day three wide receivers. Like, you're locking 5%. What that means is one out of 20 times, you're going to get a guy like Stefan Diggs or you're going to get a guy like Tyree Hill. The question is, is can you identify them? And historically, we have not been able to identify them. And I'll just use an example. I looked at this in the book. The only time in the past 11 years that the dynasty community has identified with the, with the highest pick in a rookie draft, the, the wide receiver that actually, um, that actually ends up hitting from day three, was Mike Williams. From Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. And that was a while ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean,
1: that, that kind of predates like real Dynasty ADP, really.
2: Yeah. And so, and even if you say, hey, it's more efficient now, right, it, mm-hmm. we haven't gotten better at it. And so, and if you just look at the range of guys where, like, Diggs was a fourth round pick, and, you know, And and Tyreek Hill was even was even like later than that to find actual. I mean, his ADP from Rotoviz was forty nine point six. Diggs's was thirty eight point two. You know, you just keep going back. The only one that was around three pick, uh, Mike Williams was fifteen point six. So he's around two pick the only one that was around three pick was Marvin Jones. Everyone else was either fourth or beyond. And so you just historically no one has really identified the guys that have hit. Um, outside of that rare case of Mike Williams so I, I as a class will avoid them generally speaking once they hit I think it's a little bit different of a conversation but a guy like Darius Slayton I'm still not he's still not in the hit category for me
1: what I guess that that kind of introduces a question what yeah. constitutes a hit for you
2: yeah a hit I just define a hit and it's a it's, I, I, when you're writing a hundred or 150 page book, you sort of need to come up with shorthand at some point. So I define a hit as a top 24 finish for a wide receiver or a top 24 finish for a running back, um, at quarterback and tight end, I define as a top 12 and it is different than whether or not a player succeeds. So example I use is if you hit, if you draft a quarterback at 101 in a rookie draft and he hits once for a top 12 season, that's a disappointment. Um, if, he hits, if you draft a quarterback at 301 in a rookie draft and he hits once, that's a windfall. Um, and so that, it doesn't necessarily get to the value or whether or not it was a, a good pick or not. It get, that's a, that's a, and I have a different chapter in my book about density. And I look at how dense a hit is, and that sort of goes to how how you know, how valuable or how good the pick actually was. Once you get past the initial, he did it or didn't. Um, but I just use that simple uh, top 24 seasonal finish for running back or wide receiver and a top 12 seasonal finish for quarterback or tight end just to define whether a player's in that line or not.
1: So one thing I would think about that is that I think that – Many people who play Dynasty, obviously, they're, they're starting their players every week. They're, they're getting the points. I think that people might mark a player a hit prematurely just because they see that guy scoring on their team. Like, oh, this guy must be a top 24 receiver. And then you look at the end of the year and, like, they were wide receiver 38. So I right. I, I, think that, you know, the emotion of, of Dynasty can get a hold of you, especially when it's a player that was nearly free. I talked about this with uh, Kenny Galladay. So Kenny Galladay, you know, one of the better NFL wide receivers uh, today, but doesn't really get much talk in the dynasty atmosphere today. Certainly not as much as he did when he was a late second round rookie pick. And the reason for that is that when he was a late second round rookie pick, he was the the sexy sleeper, the guy that everyone wanted to, you know, have as their, as their sleeper. But now that his cost is basically wide receiver, 20 to 24 range, you know, a mid first uh, type price from a rookie draft perspective He's no longer no longer that sexy sleeper, and you don't really want to pay for the, the the sleeper that emerges. People are kind of resistant to pay their new
2: price. Yeah, that's a that's it's actually a really interesting psychological phenomenon, right? Like that's that's it is a, and it's I mean that's a, to, to some degree it's capitalism, right? It's the you, you can be, and I talk about this in my book. At a low cost, you should be. You shouldn't really diversify on players, right? If, you know, I, in a, for example, in round like three or four of a rookie draft, I might only be taking three or four guys. But as their price goes up, you're naturally going to diversify because you're going to sell them off, or you're going to do, you know, you're going to you're going to um, sell high, you know, or do something like that. And and that's sort of what happens with with these guys when they hit. And so Ka- Kenny Galladay is actually. Of all the players in, in each year, there's different types of players that make me think about dynasty a little bit differently. Kenny Galladay is actually the reason why I wrote my de- my density book because I wanted to know. You know, I looked at him and I said, "All right, you know, day day three wide or a uh, uh, day two wide receiver, late round three. That's about 25 percent uh, hit rate historically, just a little bit below that. But what does that mean once he hits? You know, what's that? What does that do then? And so I wanted to see sort of, um, you know, how that how that those players then perform. And so he is the reason why I wrote the density chapter in my book. And it looks at all about that at, at positions and players and um, or, or just positions in all at different pedigrees, because I think it's a really interesting way to look at players. Yeah,
1: for sure. So. So do you think that when you have a, a sleeper hit, do you think that it's more, more often than not a good idea to hold them? I know you, we, we kind of did make the Darius Slayton example of like now's the time to sell him because it's more likely he's going to tail off. But I guess it, it, do you, is it more of a player by player example or do you think that, you know, what's the move when you have a sleeper
2: that hits? I think it depends on the position. I think it depends their draft pedigree. So, for example, uh, you know, day three wide receivers, I am uh, – and to hit, they really need to hit. So a guy like Darius Slayton is not inside a hit line for me, um, so I would be quick to move on from him uh, at this point. And if you look, you know, in day three, you see – it's just rare that you see guys that – the hit rates are really low, so the noise is pretty staticky there in terms of the density – of the guys, but you know, a hundred percent of the round five guys have been one hit wonders. Um, and I just capped this at 2018 because I had to get the book out. So this doesn't include the 2019 finishes on any of these guys. So that might tinker with it a little bit. But a hundred percent of the round five guys have been one hit wonders. You know, 83 percent of the round four guys have been have hit uh twice or uh, once or twice for the guys that hit so basically there's only been one uh there's you know only 17 percent of them have gone past and i think it's just one player has gone past hitting twice is around four wide receiver so all of those things point to the fact that you're there's just a low amount of guys that actually do it and sustain any success from hit at all and then sustain success from that i i think at that position i'm, t- I'm quick to move off of it um If I have a sleeper, like I wouldn't necessarily categorize Alexander Madison, for example, last year as a sleeper um, in terms of this conversation. But, um, you know, he's a day two running back round three guy. And I would say I was above market on him, but I I sort of look at him differently because of the hit rates on on running backs. Uh, And they're much different then you would see, for example, like a like a later uh, day three wide receiver, or like a day three wide receiver. So um, with a player like him, you know, if he rose up significantly in value, if something happened to Delvin Cook or Delvin Cook held out or got injured or something to that effect, you, you I would uh, probably sell some on the way up. Uh, but I would still be I would still be looking for a, a very high price. And I'd be comfortable holding probably unreasonably high costs on on a player like him. So it it matters a lot depending on pedigree and position.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, So our our next thing I want to talk about is windows and dynasty. I know that this, it certainly is a highly debated topic. Is it a three-year window? Is it a four-year window? Is it an infant year window? Because dynasty never ends. And so I I guess we'll we'll start from that perspective. Do you view your dynasty teams in any, any sort of window?
2: Um, I, I don't I don't set out to try and win in year one of a startup draft, but I do think by year two, year three, I should be pretty competitive. So that's typically the way I sort of look at it. If I, have I had teams where I was surprisingly competitive in year one, yes, um, but I, I don't typically go out and say, I need to build this team to be to win in year one, mortgage future picks, those sorts of things. I'm just not the type of uh, owner that I am. Uh, But I I found success and and I did a lot of, when I first got in the dynasty, um, I did a couple startup drafts, but then I, as I sort of expanded my teams, I got a lot into uh, adopting orphan teams and I really learned a lot from that strategy and I actually wrote about it in Analytics of Dynasty in 2019, uh, a rebuild that I had done. And sort of how I sort of went about the whole thing. And the, it's a really that was a great process for me to learn about team building um, and the risk of it's super low because you don't expect to contend when it's a when it's a pretty crappy uh, rebuilding team. But looking at those things, I think you, I'm, I'm more comfortable and and I, and I really think in Dynasty, um, I, I, I don't set out to be contrarian, but I think there's value sometimes in being uh, the, the most contrarian voice. Um, and sometimes the most contrarian voice, most of the time actually, the thing that can that can get you the most value is being patient. And everyone wants to play Dynasty and we sign up and we're, oh, we're going to play this long-term league and then everyone makes short-term decisions. And it's just amazing how often that happens. And if you're willing to say, hey, listen, I, you know, not that I'm going to tank or anything, but I'm going to I'm going to understand what the value of players are. And especially looking at my metrics like warp, um, I think people overvalue low difference making players and just say, listen, you know, a guy that's only, you know, point two warp better than my replacement player for him is is some and I can get a first round pick for that I'm going to do that and so I don't necessarily think that that's tanking or you know conceding this year um but I think that's that's building uh, high upside consistently throughout your roster so I don't tend to I don't start out year one trying to be competitive but by year two year three uh, that's that's sort of my window and um and that's sort of how I I tend to play
1: Yeah. For me, the problem I have with the the window talk in Dynasty is that a lot of the people who talk about playing in three-year windows or playing in four-year windows is that they are playing Dynasty like trades don't exist. Like they are saying, should I draft Todd Gurley or should I draft Alvin Kamara? Okay. Who's going to score the most points over the next four years when that's not how Dynasty works, you know, especially the way my teams work. I, I make, you know. 10 to 15 trades every league every year, you know? And so I I very much view my teams like a marketplace and I'm, you know, trading uh, an asset, hopefully hoping, hoping that it loses value while the asset that I'm gaining gains value. And obviously that's not always going to be the case, especially when you're making a quote unquote win now move. Um, but I do try and, you know, stray away from those because more often than not, those end up being a negative EV move because when you're making a win now move, it often tends to be, like an act of desperation and you're not looking at how much that player is impacting your roster versus what the replacement or what your current player is.
2: I I totally agree with that too. And so I found this, like this conversation was really interesting when I did the first analytics of dynasty. And so one of the things I wanted to look at was really like the allotment of teams. And so I had like warp, but I wanted to say like, you know what, what teams truly make, uh, win championships and you know and what what you know if I get into because I what good is getting in at seven and six is essentially was essentially the question that I wanted to know is it worth you know is is that is that a success or, or sort of where where do you find yourself on that and what I found is teams that that win leagues it's rare to win it as like a succeed at seven and six um, you need to be an elite team and really you need to be a team that's up at the top in terms of getting buys. I mean, just the, the odds of the odds you give yourself by being a, a high upside team that has, that gets a buy. That's one less game you have to play. And you see a lot of teams that, you know, you see a lot of teams from nine, 10 and 11 win and 12, 12 win teams, uh, that's where the championships come from you know for instance seven win teams only won the championship 13 percent of the time um eight win teams night 19 of the time and you know you sort of look and then you get up at the you know the, the the peak where a lot of teams ended up finishing out with nine wins as 28 but you're looking at you're you're getting almost three to one on your odds there in terms of the the teams to the uh you know the the championships in that range that's that's basically you know 11 about 11% of the teams were finished with nine wins and 28% of the championships came with those from that range so that's where you're really looking at the high end and it gets even more extreme as the numbers goes out but you want you want to be on that far right distribution of the win totals
1: yeah i definitely do think that people overestimate how much they're truly contenders when they're contending for a six seed. I don't really consider myself a championship contender unless I'm contending for that bye week. Like, you know, I getting the bye week, I think I'm you know a lot more likely obviously to get that championship. But if I'm in that one to three range, I'm I know okay, I, I have a shot going into this. I don't if I if I sneak in with a six seed in a year one or in a rebuild, then I'm like, okay, I'm, anything I take from this is is okay, but I'm probably not going to even make it past the first round. Um, so yeah, I, I think that when people try are trying to decide if they're contenders, they do need to more look at, am I close to a buy or am am I going to get a buy rather than am I close to a playoff spot?
2: Yeah, and if you're making a win now trade, like a win, you shouldn't make a win now trade if you're trying to go from six wins to seven wins. You should make a win now trade if you're going to try and go from eight wins to nine wins because that that's and 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 if you're looking at a trading window for example uh, do it earlier right because you want to get you know if if I'm you know week 3 week 4 week 5 I'm sort of in play there's a group of teams up at the top and listen I think I can push my chips in and say I think I can win this league you know I'm up in terms of all play record my power ranks high all of those things pushing your chips in week 4 week 5 to get a an additional piece to get you to help you get another win you can do that over a 10 week sample it's tough to do that when you're making that trade in week 10 um, and you know and there's so much variability and, and variance and and the playoffs T- players can help but you can truly move the needle by getting a buy and so I, I i sort of look at those i think you're right in terms of seven and six teams don't truly contend that often we sort of overstate the teams that are contenders and um, and they and honestly, like the difference between being in seven and six and being four and nine really in terms of the distribution of teams isn't that far away. And the, it's a really big gap between eight, nine, 10 and 11. Like those are the teams that are really elite and, and truly uh, difference making. That's where the range gets. So, yeah, if you're making it like a trade or, or thinking about contending, you should think about it really as being, OK, I'm a playoff team. I need to make it a, a, a buy team.
1: All right, let's uh, wrap up our strategy talk with something that's not actually strategy. um, It's what I'm calling Dynasty Ethics. Jordan and I got in a bit of a spat when the Tyreek – the first eh, – yeah, I guess we call it the first Tyreek Hill news uh, around when the the NFL draft was going on. And I had gotten an offer in my inbox of uh, someone's Tyreek Hill for my Mike Evans. And basically I made a a joke on Twitter saying, like – if you're offering Tyree Kill for Mike Evans, as this news is breaking, at, uh, for those that need a refresher, this was when the first report came out that he had some issues going on with this kid, and it was being legally investigated. And the Chiefs were very much like, "All right, we're not like talking about this." Like, you know, they had a press conference, like, "Okay, like, you know, we'll let the league figure this out, basically." And obviously, nothing ever really came of it. But my whole my whole point was, if you're trying to trade Tyree Kill at value in that moment. In, the, in that exact moment, let's say the news broke at 5 o'clock and you're sending that offer at 5.05, you're just trying to catch someone with their pants down. You're trying to get someone to accept the offer without checking and seeing, oh, there's this huge news on Tyree Kill. And I, I think that the, there's exceptions to this. Like obviously the next day, I think after a whole day of the news, I think that, – that and that's kind of where Jordan and I were going back and forth of like, oh, well, when's the line? When can When can you make offers like that? But my main thing is that like, if you're going to make offers trying to trade away Tyreek Hill as the news of Tyree Hill's value going way down happened, then you need to be making an offer that's adjusting for the market value and not making one that is virtually – according to my, my me at least, that's pretty much – that was fair market value on – the day that news happened, and then it wasn't fair value immediately after the news. So uh, Jordan, ca- kind of give your stance on wh- what you thought my take was, and I guess even reply to wh- what I just said.
2: Yeah, so I, I, it's worth noting I didn't make this offer. Um, uh, so no, 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 no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, would just come at it from I, I, I think, um, at the time that this trade happened, at the time that this that news happened, I put out a, um. Uh, question on Twitter because I just wanted to have a data point which was over under 0.5 games Tyreek Hills suspended in 2019. 65% of, of owners said that um, they th- took the over or thought he would be suspended and 35% took the under. Um, so there was a significant portion of the market at that specific time that, that didn't think that this changed his value. And so – and I think when you're dealing with anything, whether it's dynasty, whether it's buying a house, whether it's buying a car, that you need to beware of what the person is selling you. Caveat emptor, buyer beware. Uh, And so I – anytime – whether it's whether it's a car whether it's you know i just got car repairs done yesterday right like you you shop around for those things um anytime that you get an offer in your inbox and this is really where i think uh, you and i might have differed on on sort of how we think about this and i'm and i sort of get I, I sort of i look at these things and i'm very cautious on the types of trades that i make not that i'm not willing to trade but i always think i'm trying to someone's trying to screw me Uh, I always come at it with that and so I always look and say you know someone wants you know the other day I got I got like a couple different offers for Matt Stafford and it was super weird like it's like January no and it's not like he was a hot player why am I getting offers for Matthew Stafford Um, so I asked around I said is there any news I looked it up I thought I missed something I was very very skeptical about those trades because of the pattern in which they came in and it just seemed like an odd thing. And so with most trades, especially at that cost, you know, you're talking about second round startup picks and I just, I'm, if I'm going to make a deal for a player like that, I need to know what's going on. And that's not to say that you couldn't, you couldn't buy Tyree kill or, or, you know that that I couldn't have made that trade but I would want to make an informed decision about that so that's really where I came at it and I think I just think from a I mean it, I I think if if you're saying you know I'm not going to make an offer for someone right now well there's there's people might have thought that that was you know hey listen I can get Tyreek Hill, I had Tyreek Hill significantly above Evans, um, and I might, you know, I'm I'm on Chris Godwin. I can sell Evans like that might be a a good trade for me. There's a there's a reasonable arguments that you could make of of how uh you could take hill in that situation and honestly i did a poll just preparing for this podcast a couple weeks ago because i knew at some point this conversation would probably come back up 51 percent of people preferred uh hill over evans uh well yeah
1: absolutely that's after a year of him not getting suspended (laughs)
2: yeah no But 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 that yes but there were people that were saying, I don't think he's going to get suspended. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so there was right. I mean, that, that, to just say, and I think in, and I guess my, my thought is, I think it's, if I am making offers uh, and it's, it's paternalistic for me to say, well, this person c- will have to take it. Well, you know, uh, they, they're not smart enough. I shouldn't offer this to them because, you know, they might not look at the news. Like I, uh, I, and, and honestly, we don't, we're not particularly good at knowing the outcomes of these things. And that's just because we're not in control of them. I mean, all of these, like all of these players, we don't have particularly good. Uh, we're not great at, uh, at, at, at knowing what the outcome is going to be because we don't control it in any way. We're just making best guesses. And so, I, I just think that there's another side to the market, and there was at the time those trades were made. And and where does it stop? If I can't make a trade offer of uh, if, if someone can't make a trade offer of Tyree Kills, he's falling and you know quote falling in price. Can can I not buy Sammy Watkins? Can I not buy Demarcus Robinson? Can I not try and sell uh, Patrick Mahomes? I mean, what what's the carry on uh, you know extrapolations that I have to make from such a rule like that? So. I think, you know, would I go out trying to rip people off? No, but I think more of the lesson is is being the buyer that you need to be very, very cautious of what people are trying to sell you.
1: Yeah, and honestly, like as I've talked through this with you, I've talked to with Dan on the podcast, um, like I understand the point of view I'm coming at is kind of like victim, like trying to play off as the victim. Like if I had accepted that trade, I would have gotten screwed over, yada, yada, yada. But more so my whole general point with this is that like and there obviously has to be like some sort of proven intent but like don't go out trying to screw your lead mates over by making an offer and if it's legitimate like okay you think this is a fair offer to make at that time honestly that's fine <laughs> like it's just like i i do feel like there's a bit of like how can i screw this person over when that that's happening as the news is breaking um, and i agree with you that that the slippery slope of like oh can i go buy sammy can i can i sell my homes or whatever it is would would end up being the you know problem with like okay basically the day that tyreek hill news can't trade anyone in the nfl <laughs> and obviously that's a bit ridiculous so at the end of the day uh, i kind of am more towards your side than than when i you know started it but also i my my general summation is don't don't be a dick to your lead mates.
2: <laughs> no, and I I think that's right. You don't want to be the guy that's a shark. And honestly, there's a guy in my league that I know when he sends me an offer, I need to go check Roto World. I know that. <laughs> yeah. And and so you don't want to, you know. I listen. I played a lot of online poker, and I like to play poker in person. Like you don't want to have a tell in terms of your. To be uh, labeled in terms of how you play um, or what your trade tactics are and so you need to be careful with that you don't want to make a reputation i just think from being the from the buyer side you know i was more uh, i'm not out trying to be a sleazeball but i think from a from a buying perspective and i look at these things more on the buy side i think um you know i i you need to be very careful uh, about what someone is selling you, because uh, and you know it's like the Patriots. The Patriots always screw the team they're trading with because they know more information, and and you got to be really cautious about that. And I think that's particularly true in Dynasty.
1: All righty, that'll wrap up our our uh, ethics talk, and now we're gonna let you know about our friends over at Bet Online.
2: We're going to take a quick break to tell you
1: about our sponsor, BetOnline. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all things sports. March Madness, the Masters, Major League Opening days right around the corner. BetOnline has you covered for the latest news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bet, and it's free to sign up. The best part, when you sign up, you receive a 50% welcome bonus. The Wilder Fury rematch goes down this Saturday night. And we can't think of a better way to wager on the fight than doing it with actual free money. Head over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BlueWire, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, to revive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Uh, We signed up. It's super easy. And if you are into betting, it's the best way to support this podcast. Again, that's promo code BlueWire, all one word, and BetOnline.ag. Get involved in the game. Get get, get your bet on with BetOnline. All right, Uh, Jordan, I I know you've listened to the podcast a few times, so you may or may not be aware of our game called uh, Dynasty Trade Tinder. Basically, it's pick that side, but we've implemented the swiping right or swiping left. So in this scenario, I'm going to present a trade to you. Uh, and if you like the second side, you will swipe right like you would a attractive female or male on the Tinder app. And if you don't like the offer of the second side, you will swipe left and say, I'm good with what I've got. All right. So first one, we've got Michael Thomas versus Cortland Sutton, the 109. And 110.
2: So uh, just remind me again, uh, it's been a while since I've dated. So um, (laughs) if I'm if I don't like the second side, I'm swiping left, right? Correct. All right. Give me I'll swipe left. Give me Michael Thomas. Okay. Any reasoning? <laughs> uh, I just I think he's I think he's elite. Uh, and I you know he's on a Hall of Fame track. Uh, and while I like 109 and 110 uh, in this class, it doesn't the format's up in the air on this. You know, I'm I'm assuming Superflex, but if it's it might not be. Um, I, I, I usually I usually
1: assume one QB if not you totally assume monkey can be
2: okay yeah and so i i think that that's going to knock those picks down a couple of ranges i is probably still going to get players you like in that range i just think the odds of getting someone like michael thomas and in, in that range it just is it's pretty low when you add all those picks up you're just you're not going to get to the same range and honestly like uh, for me i like to build from a strong core wide receivers and you get because you can, you know exactly when to start them, right? And I'm going to start Michael Thomas every week. And when you're trying to platoon a guy or two, you know, two or three guys in a spot, you struggle doing that. So give me the elite build, and I can sort of work from work from uh, the depth of my roster in a different way.
1: Yeah, I, I like Sutton a lot. Um, But I'm also going to swipe left here uh, because I I think that these picks are just a little bit too low. If this was like the 106 and 107, I think you'd see me swiping right. But, you know, the amount of impact players that you're finding in that 109 to 110 range is not nearly as fruitful as, you know, what you would want for this this gap in between. Like Cortland Sutton is at least two years away, I'd say, from – you know, catching up to Michael Thomas and scoring and, uh, you know, barring injuries. So, you know, you kind of have to hit big on one of these picks in order for it to be worth it. And so I'm I'm going to bet on, you know, the known asset and the guy who's still a very young wide receiver and Michael Thomas. All right. Next one. Uh, We are James Conner and David Johnson uh, versus Mark Ingram and Preston Williams, Williams. (laughs)
2: <laughs> um, I think you're almost. The interesting part about this is you don't. You have virtually no idea what's going on with da- uh, D- David Johnson. I still think I probably swipe left because I think I like Connor more than the other side. I like Mark Ingram, but he's sort of aging. The the running back not coming back <laughs> from. You know, you're never going to see him uptick in value. Where I think you can get a chance for uh, Connor to be an uptick value type of guy. I think you still have. I still think he has top twelve uh, fantasy upside in play, uh, and Mark Ingram pro- probably not as as high. And I expect some regression from the Baltimore offense. And Preston Williams is, uh, I think, more of a name than a true value at this point. So I'll and basically you're getting a, a lotto ticket on David Johnson. I'll take the Connor side.
1: Yeah. Also, I left as well. Uh, I, I think that the, the key to this piece, or the, the key piece to this deal, is David Johnson and the, his possible 2020 off, you know, 2019 off season, or no, we 2020. His 2020 offseason value, if the Cardinals cut him, and maybe he goes to his old friend Bruce Arians in Tampa, or basically anywhere else, like, and not that Arizona is a bad offense. In fact, it's known as one of the better offenses to be in, but for whatever reason, Arizona has soured on David Johnson, maybe because he hasn't played well recently, but I'm I'm taking the Connor Johnson side just because I think that Johnson's going to have some sort of market value bump at some point this off season, whether it's even the Cardinals possibly, uh, you know, putting a, a vote of faith in him.
2: Yeah, he, he could, I think there's a couple of different avenues you could look at Johnson. You could either think, Hey, he was hurt or there's a falling out. Um, In either one of those, I would almost rather for his sake, it would be a falling out or there was some sort of problem between him and him and management or him and the coach or whatever. uh, And they essentially benched him. And I think that's a reasonable inference. You could also draw the inference that he was hurt. Um, And, you know, either, Either one of those, I think, lends that there's a possibility of a bounce back there. So um, I'm sort of with you on the fact that I think he could rise in price.
1: All right, we'll move on to our next one. And it is going to be one of the more interesting ones we have here. And it is Lamar Jackson versus Deshaun Watson in the 201. And this is Superflex with 0.25 points per carry. So uh, what, what are your thoughts on this one?
2: I'm taking uh, Watson over Lamar Jackson in startup drafts, so this oh. one's easy for me. I'm swiping right.
1: Ooh, that's a that's a take. I I have been battling Dan on the not so hot take of that I think that Lamar doesn't deserve to be over Mahomes. Uh, but so what's your what's your take over uh, Watson over Lamar?
2: I just expect some a lot of regression from Lamar Jackson, and so I looked at this in my book, and I was interested to know sort of what the Top QB does, uh, you know, the QB one finish. Where does that end up, you know, the next year? Uh, and if you just look at touchdown rate, and it's it's simply touchdown rate is is the is the thing that propels quarterbacks to QB one status. And it's it's pretty fickle year over year. It's not particularly well correlated, and we see this every week, right? Like you see bat, batted balls get deflected, or you get good breaks, or what 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 have you. And those things all need to go well for a quarterback one finish. Uh, and it, you know essentially with a bigger sample size you expect that to regress back to normal and so you know you could expect a a touchdown rate you know on average uh over the sample of my data i sort of excluded some of the the low outliers but i i saw historically at about 4.6 percent and so he's close to double that and you know he's uh i think it's i think he's just about three standard deviations outside of the average touchdown rate. You're going to expect a big regression on that, and you see Watson has consistently done it, and he's not going to be subject to that that big downturn in terms of uh, going forward. Honestly, I think you could make an argument that Dak Prescott is uh, more value, is is a, a better bet, and and honestly, you're going to get a bigger return piece than 201 on Dak Prescott for Lamar Jackson and Superflex right now. I I would i would gather so um just in terms of the value i'm selling jackson i'm getting i'm getting watson uh plus 201 in return i'm going to do that all day
1: yeah i i am swiping right here i'm taking watson the 201 but i will say that i think i do i do still have lamar at qb2 right now i think his rushing floor is, is so high that really the only concern for me yes there, there is the touchdown regression which obviously you 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 gave the statistics to back that up but i I think that the obviously the bigger risk with lamar and watson has seen some of it in his career is the risks of being a running quarterback in the nfl and and missing games so i think that's obviously the primary concern for lamar and i think watson over the you know the last year year and a half has moved his game more away from from the running game uh which obviously maybe you know lowers his weekly floor a little bit but also i think it you know, decreases his risk of, of getting hurt each week. So yeah, I'll, I'll take Watson in the 201. I, I think that this pick could go as low as like 208, 209. And I'd still take Watson. Um, I think that once we get below that, I, I would, I'll say, t- I'll take the risk with Lamar if that is what a quote unquote risk would be. All right, let's move on to our final trade. And I think this is going to be another good one. Uh, we got another super flex trade. It is the 101 for the 105 and the 107.
2: I'm gonna swipe left at this point simply because uh, I, I don't, this trade's never gonna go away. And so what I mean by that is, if you own 101 at this point, you're never gonna do worse from this particular owner than 105 and 107, right? They wanna get to one, you hold the piece, and you can you can do better. Uh, the the price is not going to drop between now and rookie drafts. So simply for that reason, I would I would hold the one on one and swipe left, uh, left. Uh, and if I was um. You know, if it's closer in terms of the draft, and this is that might be a different conversation in terms of if this was, you know, you're on the clock at 101. I still think you're probably holding there, but I think the price on this goes up. So, uh, so I would I would hold 101 at this point. And generally speaking, I don't like to give up leverage in rookie drafts this early on, and that's what this is doing. So that leverage is valuable, and the most picks ever cost is when you're on the clock, and so you can. You, know, you can always do, and who knows what, what 101 could be worth in terms of other assets, um, and by selling it right now, you won't be able to find out. So I would hold 101 in this in this particular scenario.
1: So my argument for and I'm, I'm going to swipe right hesitantly, but my, my argument for it is going to be, especially in Superflex, that the – Top tier, maybe you want to call it the second tier. I think that Burrow and maybe Swift are kind of clearly. It depends on if Swift goes in the first round of the whole draft, it'll probably be a top tier of Burrow and and Swift. But I I think that as we get closer to the draft, that second tier after Burrow-Swift is going to get a little bit larger. You know, you, you have Jonathan Taylor and you have Tua and you have Herbert. And so... If that second tier kind of makes it way its way to 107 and I can get two second tier guys for the price of one Joe Burrow, uh, that's a trade I'd be willing to make. So I, I'm, I'm taking the risk that this, you know, the, you know, fictitious tiers end up expanding a little bit. And because I, I think that when those tiers do expand, the guy who has two of the top seven isn't going to give them up for just one pick.
2: Can I ask you, you're, so you so you would take Burrow at one oh one and and um Superflex right now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I'm there yet on him. Um and so but I like you rule out the contingencies on this too, right? Like if you if you do this trade right now, you what happens if DeAndre Swift goes to Kansas City? Right? Like that that tilts the market in in an even more extreme way up the board, right? Because that's that's like the ideal landing spot for a running back is what the market thinks right now. And you sort of, by not having that, that deal by, by giving away that, that shot. And even if it's only a five or 10% shot, you're sort of giving away that, that massive, what would be massive upside. Uh, And I don't just as I haven't put together a border and I don't do real, I don't do rankings at this point in the, in the class. But I think at this point I'd probably have a running back over, over burrow at this point, just based on hit rates and those sorts of things this early and the, this early um, would sort of be my thought is how it's going to turn out in May. So, it, but it'll be, I think it'll be interesting and you, by trading one oh one at this point, you sort of give up that upside.
1: Yeah. And I will say that the one thing that you mentioned that maybe would cause me to pause on this one would be not that you're losing out on the ability to trade for the one-oh-five, one-oh-seven, but by trading for one-oh-five, one-oh-seven, you're losing the ability to trade the one-oh-one for. Dak Prescott or for, you know, another high valued veteran um, who is more likely to produce now. And so, you know, as we get closer to draft, I think that the one of the distance between 105, 107 versus 101 is going to get closer, but even closer will be the value between 101 Joe Burrow and like other second round startup picks.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I I would. uh... I, I certainly think because you could and and maybe that that idea of 101 for Prescott isn't you know, that that might seem I I'm not, I don't know if that could get done, but you could see and you could do other quarterbacks and slide down. You know what I mean? Like there's there's a range of quarterbacks. And I think in this class, especially if Burrow goes one at the time you're on the clock, you could slide down, get a proven starter. And I don't think you're going to have to move all that far. And it seems crazy to say that. But I think that that's going to be a possibility in this draft. So, yeah, I, I would hold it right now just because it gives you I like to have all the power. So give me all the power.
1: Alrighty, that'll wrap us up for another edition of the nice Trade Cast on RotoViz Radio. Thanks to our sponsor, Bet Online through Blue Wire promo code BLUEWIRE, Wire, slash radio to get yourself a subscription to RotoViz. And uh, Jordan, uh, one last shout out uh, for you and your book. Uh, you can t- tell us, people, where to find you.
2: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Dynasty. Uh You can find the book. Uh, the 2020 edition's got a lot of. Uh, Uh, it's got a lot of base rates. It's got the density stuff. We talked about different ideas on roster construction, a lot of super flex focus too. Uh, It's a lot of about a quarter of the books and on super flex. And I have different metrics in there about how to identify quarterbacks, uh, from and, and avoiding the one-hit wonders, which is a critical part of Superflex drafting. I've got a lot of metrics in there. One specific metric in particular that's a that's a big um, must-have for quarterbacks. So you can check all that out. Um, if you're newer to Dynasty uh, and you're you're just looking for a more broad overview, uh, the 2019 edition's still topical. It's it's on sale for twenty dollars now. You can get it. Um, and both of them are available for immediate download. Um, you can find my podcast at the and the Analytics of Dynasty podcast wherever you get your podcast and you can find me my Patreon channel I do a lot of uh uh, i have my dynasty tiers, uh, which are a different take on rankings and i've got uh podcasts there uh and and just it's been uh, a little over a month that i've done it and i've recorded <laughs> an ex- a, a crazy number of podcasts so you can find all that content at patreon.com slash analytics at dynasty i've got a group me uh going as well with a bunch of my subscribers so you can find all that at patreon.com slash analytics at dynasty
1: Alrighty, that'll wrap us up for another edition of Dine Streetcast. Uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Tada!
2: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers, and if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer.